From the Lean Enterprise Institute in Boston, this is the WLEI Podcast, where we share stories of people making the world better through lean thinking and practice. For more information about LEI, including how we can help you apply lean thinking, please visit lean.org. Have you ever struggled to measure and or articulate the impact of a continuous improvement initiative? If you answered yes, then this episode is for you. It's a recorded conversation that I had recently with Dr. Lynn Kelly. Dr. Kelly has an impressive CV. She's currently a senior advisor to BBH Capital Partners and an LEI board member. In 2018, she retired from Union Pacific Railroad, where she was a senior vice president of supply chain and continuous improvement. It was this experience that she and I drew upon. Before Union Pacific, Dr. Kelly was employed at Textron as the Vice President of Operational Excellence. She was previously a professor and department chair at Madonna University, where she taught undergraduate and graduate statistics courses. Prior to becoming a professor, Dr. Kelly held the position of Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer at Doctors Hospital in Detroit. Dr. Kelly holds a PhD in Evaluation and Research from Wayne State University, an MBA from Michigan State University, and a bachelor's degree in business management from the University of Detroit Mercy. She's published many articles as well as three books in the fields of statistics and operational excellence. She completed postdoctoral fellowships with both the U.S. Census Bureau and the American Society of Engineering Education. Given her various fields of study, myriad achievements, and executive experience, I was eager to talk to her. Here's our conversation. Well, Lynn, thanks for stopping by. You're uh, welcome. The world headquarters here for the Lean Enterprise Institute uh, here in Boston, Massachusetts. Wonderful that you were in town and had the opportunity to come by and uh, and uh, carve out a little time for a conversation with me. Um, so this is the On the Job podcast, as you know, mm-hmm. uh, where I'm uh, lucky enough to be able to sit down with uh, executives uh, with far more experience than I, which uh, is not, uh, not not such a high bar, but... Um, you know, the purpose of these conversations is to, uh, to the extent possible, for me to sort of borrow the learning curve, so to speak, uh, to learn from your experience uh, as I uh, seek to effectively lead this organization uh, and help others who are in similar positions. And um, I'm really excited to have you today to uh, talk about your experience as an executive for the Union Pacific. Ah, um, good. Thank you. You shared with me earlier, you were there for seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, and had as your kind of primary responsibility leading the continuous improvement uh, activities there, um, but also responsibility for uh, other aspects of the business. So uh, I guess maybe you could um, start with just, uh, I guess folks probably are familiar with Union Pacific, okay. uh, more yes. or less, but, um, but maybe just an overview of the company uh, for those who, who may not be. Sure. So Union Pacific Railroad is a railroad that all operates primarily west of the Mississippi River. And um, when, I'm, when I'll be describing it, I'll also talk about how we're organized. And, and we're organized throughout that whole geographic area in service units. And every service unit has its own leader and its team and its engineers and conductors that go to and fro from that service unit. And, um, and I, uh, I was there for seven years. And I really enjoyed the culture of the railroad. It was a great experience for me. So uh, I understand that um, one of the reasons that you joined the, the organization was to help with introducing what you've called, or what the, the organization called, the Union Pacific Way. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you could tell us a little bit about, I guess, what, what was the Union Pacific Way? Sure. And, uh, what was the, the reason for its introduction? Sure. Okay. So, yeah, I was brought in the company because the, uh, the leadership wanted to formalize an approach to continuous improvement. They liked the name UP Way because uh, Union Pacific often goes by its nickname UP. So, so they called it the UP Way. It wasn't clearly defined, and there hadn't been a, a company-wide or an operating-wide deployment at that point. So um, so we were right at the beginning um, of defining what it would look like. We decided that we would start very, very basic, because we're, we're talking in the operating department of 40,000 employees mm-hmm. who are spread out over the U.S. Mm-hmm. and are not under a roof. And so 
Uh, we chose five tools to start with, uh, along with um, leadership philosophies, and the tools were things like 5S, leader standard work, standard work, very foundational ways to think about continuous improvement. So this introducing the UP way was being done kind of across the enterprise. Had there been experiences prior to you joining the company of like initial discovery about what, what would ultimately become kind of codified as the UP way? Or? Actually, yes. It was, it was a pretty interesting thing to walk into. There had been a leader of continuous improvement hired before me, and that person had recruited out from outside of the company approximately 20 people to to join and um, perform continuous improvement mm -hmm. but they all had different methodologies so mm -hmm. some of them were six sigma some were lean some were industrial engineers mm -hmm. and everybody worked in their own service unit and just improve things any way that they wanted to. Mm. The only consistency that we had in that organization was the mechanical department, and these are the folks that repair the locomotives, and they had they had a leader that had discovered lean mm. uh, and wanted to do lean in his area. So independently, in the mechanical part of the organization, we had the very foundational uh, beginnings of what we now call the UP way. Okay. Um, yeah, I can, um, you know, remember, I guess, a, a, a similar inflection point that um, that happened at Starbucks when there had been some initial experiments done in, in areas like uh, the roasting plants, so I guess supply chain more broadly, uh, some things done in, in some marketing processes, yeah. and then uh, where I first was introduced to lean uh, when there was a kind of a model line experiment yeah. in Portland, Oregon. Um, and anyway, after a couple of years of these sort of disparate experiments, uh, also with with uh, different methodologies, right, I guess, right. as the company was exploring, like yeah, how there's will this nothing wrong apply with that, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's good. It's experimentation. Um, but there was that inflection point where the company kind of said, all right, let's yeah. um, sort of codify what will be our way mm -hmm. and let's introduce that kind of as far and wide as, as we can. Yeah. Um, for Starbucks at that time, it was, uh, this was... 2008. Mm -hmm. So there was a, an economic crisis that was really driving the sense of urgency yeah. um, to introduce lean thinking across the company. Yeah. Um, was there a similar, I guess, what, what was the motivation um, behind bringing all of this together and, and getting it company-wide? Uh, just, uh, I think the fact that we had a chief operating officer that was new to his role, and he had originally come from manufacturing. Mm. And that was a new thing. It never happened at the railroad before. Mm -hmm. And he knew lean from manufacturing, but he didn't have a mechanism to, um, or, a per, or an individual to lead the charge to roll this out to the operating department. Okay. okay. And so uh, you, you, be, you became that individual. It was. I was, I was the one <laughs> with my team, yes. Uh, wonderful. So I know a big part of um, what you, I think, brought to that role um, was, you know, obviously your experiences from before joining Union Pacific, uh, working for Textron, and, and your uh, education as well. Um, and... Uh, Obviously, that experience informed the approach that you took, uh, right. and even how um, how the, the the company kind of measured the impact yes. of the change over time. So, um, I think you know, in a lot of ways, that's that's what um, what I'm eager to to learn from you yeah, today uh, is about about sort of those ingredients uh, to the to the initiative. Um, so maybe you could uh, start by sharing a little bit about, you know, what, what was unique maybe to the approach or even some of the components sure. of the UP way that were being introduced and, yeah. and, and how that was uh, being measured and monitored. Yeah. So um, part of my personal belief system is that we spend a heck of a lot of time thinking about how we're going to implement something and a lot of time implementing that thing and not much time seeing if it's working mm. and doing course correct and finding ways to get quick feedback so that we can uh, correct something if we need to. And so what I was determined to do in a, in a rollout of this magnitude with 40,000 employees spread out where that you'd maybe only see two together, employees together at a time, mm. uh, you, you'd have to get mechanisms that will give you feedback 
pretty quickly if your deployment is failing. Maybe it's succeeding in, in one in St. Louis, but maybe it's failing in San Diego. You just, you have to know what's happening where. And so, mm -hmm. um, so we set up these easy ways to gather and analyze data at really inflection points. And one of those um, inflection points was when people were trained. And the way, the, the way that I've um, thought about the training is that most companies, when they're gonna say, we're gonna roll something out, mm -hmm. they measure what? <laughs> I mean, the, the, the number of people trained. Exactly, like the, uh, that's the first the, thing. It's the, the easiest measurement. thing. It's what everybody measures. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But just because someone's trained doesn't necessarily mean that they can that they're going to use it, right? Right, right? So a higher level of measurement, you probably want to know how many people are trained, but you really want to know, are they using whatever you sure, taught them? Sure. Because that's a waste of time if they don't use it. Mm -hmm. But even higher than that, you want to know if it's making a difference. Right, right. So, you know, that sounds daunting. Can we get that data? Well, yes, we can. And we can get it really easily. And that's what we ended up doing is developing a system that allowed us to get all three of those data points really easily and course correct wherever we had to. Well, so I've, I've heard you even use a sort of a term uh, or different terms to describe these different um, I guess approaches yeah. to implementing and and deciding on on what will be measured. Um, right. The the difference between, uh, as I understand it, operational speed and strategic speed. Exactly. Maybe you can, um, uh, enlighten us a bit on on what is the difference there. Well, I, a number of years ago, I read an article in Harvard Business Review, and I stole this uh, concept because it really resonated with me. And um, I don't remember the exact. I actually have written down somewhere the exact numbers, but this was a this was a a group that studied uh, large scale company wide deployments. Mm -hmm throughout the world, not mm -hmm. just in the U.S., but throughout the world. Deployments of anything. Of new initiatives. New initiatives. New initiatives. Okay. Uh, businesses and organizations, healthcare, whatever, who are trying to deploy something new. A new IT system, all different kinds okay. of things. And what they found was that, in general, companies went after deployments in two different ways. Most companies did something called operational speed. Operational speed means that you put together an implementation plan and with your milestones and your dates, and it's on your market set, go. And everybody's racing to the finish. And you just boop, 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 boop. I met my deadline. My success is measured that I'm green on my date. So it's just like saying I'm green on my, if, if one of the dates was I have to have this many people trained by this date, then I'm green, green, right? So the but, combination of those two things, having having a date to train a number of 50 people percent of the and, yeah, employees or something. Exactly. Okay. But a few of the companies did something differently. And they instead of um, operating along this, they did have an implementation plan. Mm -hmm. They did have timelines, mm -hmm. but they had feedback loops along the whole implementation plan and they were measuring not just did you do this by this date, but is it working? Mm -hmm. And if it isn't, how are we going to course correct and do that quickly before we roll it out any further? Mm -hmm. And so I'm a very, very strong believer in that. And I was determined if I was going to take on this Union Pacific assignment that we were going to do operational speed. And in fact, when I had my interview with the CEO and the head of operations, I said, if you want to go fast, 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 I'm not your person. Mm. And if you want to do this without thinking about employee engagement, I'm not your person. This is what I believe. I believe in strategic speed and I believe in employee engagement and neither of those can be sacrificed. And uh, both the CEO and the head of operations said, that's what we want too. Okay. It's amazing. So I can imagine, I mean, it's uh, not hard to imagine <laughs> what a measurement of number of people trained by such and such a date would look like. Sure. Um, so to, to, in addition to that, be measuring um, at strategic speed, as you've described it, to be measuring sort of this higher uh, order uh, of outcome. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we can talk about the, the ultimate uh, objective being, you know, are we getting the results that we were, that we were after around mm -hmm. engagement or maybe other business mm -hmm. results? Um, but in between, uh, the 
uh, at strategic speed. What what is it exactly that you were yeah. measuring yeah. Uh, to get the feedback that you wanted, uh, where adjustments might be made? Okay, um, based on that feedback. So this was a um, a really easy thing to do. I highly recommend it. Basically, we had two purposes of this. Uh, methodology that I'm going to talk about. We wanted to measure the effectiveness of each instructor because the the leaders were teaching their own people. The leaders were teaching the exactly. People. We had we were teaching lean these lean tools and mm-hmm. lean concepts, but the leaders of the, that department of that site, mm-hmm. they were there teaching, and we had a lean person in the room with them mm-hmm. to help coach if needed. And of course, they prepped them ahead of time. But we need to make we needed to make sure that the that the leaders, who are not necessarily teachers by trade, mm-hmm. um, were communicating the tools effectively mm-hmm. so and the concepts effectively. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's the one thing we had to measure, the effectiveness of that. But also, again, like I said, are the people using the tools after the training? Mm-hmm. So this is what we did. In every single class that we taught, we simply had all students complete a four question survey before they left the room. Mm -hmm. It was Likert scale, one, two, three, four, five, six. So strongly disagree, strongly agree. Mm -hmm. And these are the four questions. So after the training, before they left the room, they told us if they understood the concept, number one. Number two, did they think they had the skills to apply the concept or the tool? Number three, did they understand how the concept or the tool would improve the workplace? Mm -hmm. And number four, did they believe that the concept would improve employee engagement? Okay. So okay. This is, so this is at the moment that yeah. training has concluded, more or less, and then there's these questions that are kind of speculative in nature. Exactly. Right? I mean, do, do you understand? Yes or no? Or yeah. on the scale of one to six? Exactly. Uh, more, more or less. Um, do you believe you have the skills? Think you have the skills to yeah. apply it? Do you uh, understand what would be the benefit if you applied it? Uh, okay. Okay, good. Understood. And then, and I'll talk about how we use that in a minute, but let me go to the follow-up. Uh-huh. Now, we gathered that data anonymously, but we kept it segre- segregated by class. And the classes were geographically located. So the mm-hmm. leader of that group is teaching that class. Right, okay? Right, right. okay. Now, two, we like to do two months later. Sometimes it went as long as four, so I have to say <laughs> two to four months later. But okay, mostly okay. two months later... All of those students received this almost the exact same survey to complete, and um, again, anonymous, mm-hmm. but now the questions were changed. Instead of asking, well, the first time we asked, they, did they understand the concept? We still ask them on question one, do you understand it? So we just wanted to make sure two months later, do you still remember it? Mm-hmm. Did you understand mm-hmm. it? But the, now what the questions change on question two. On questions two, we said, have you applied mm. the tool or the concept? So that's so, about demonstration versus exactly. speculating Are they I, using I think it? I have the skills. Yeah, I, yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. Question number three, now this gets hints at results, but we had a more robust way to do this later, but this is the ne- question number three is, has this tool or concept improved your workplace? Mm. So are things better? Or was there no change whatsoever once you applied 5S or whatever mm-hmm. it is? Mm-hmm. Was and, was better defined in any way or kind of from their point we, of view? It, we, from their point of view, we just said okay. improved. The actual word was improved, improved. my workplace. Okay. 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 And then the last question was, has this tool increased employee engagement? Mm. Okay. So, so those it. were the four questions. Now, what do we have? We have pre-post, we have a comparison, Mm -hmm. and we're able to look at the average response on the, after the training, Mm -hmm. versus average response two months after the training. Okay, so uh, we've got the UP way. Uh, It consists of these five tools that have been codified from these different methodologies Mm -hmm. that have been sort of uh, the experiments running in, in years up until then. And in these classes uh, that were organized around sites or departments, so so teams of people that that would have been kind of working together, Mm -hmm. um, experiencing training provided by their leader uh, who had been prepared and supported by a lean expert, I guess uh, a lean expert being someone from your team. Yes. Is that right? Okay. Uh, And uh, at the time that the training is concluded and then two to four. We, we, we weren't happy with four, but uh, it, it happened. Uh, two to four months later, we administered the survey for a second time. Yep. So, all right, 
um, what were the what were the outcomes? What, okay. what, what did you measure as a result? We were thrilled with the outcomes, <laughs> to be honest with you, because the average response to all of the questions right after training was that they agreed that they understood, they agreed that they were thought they could use it, all of those questions. Mm-hmm. The average response two months later was they agreed, they did understand it still, they had applied it, it had improved the workplace, and it had increased employee engagement. Mm-hmm. That's agreed on the overall scale, and there was no statistically significant difference between those each pair of those scores. So what we found is, on the whole, we were we were good to go. Mm-hmm. However, the whole the the whole is different. Remember, all those classes are segregated. Sure. So the aha moment for us is that we were able to detect two months later the sites that did not implement, mm-hmm. or the sites where they did and that didn't it didn't add value for them, or the sites where their employee engagement did not increase. And that then involved a visit, coaching, finding out why, what's going on. Mm -hmm. We were also able to detect from the first survey which instructors need more coaching. Mm Because these are our leaders. We have to ensure that they're able to communicate the lean concepts. Mm -hmm. And if they just taught a class and people said they didn't understand the concept, We've got to we've got to mm-hmm. coach those leaders. So mm-hmm. it's it's nipping those little problems in the bud as soon as we can detect them, and then moving forward and course correcting when you have to. Two months later, I mean that's 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 uh, a quick feedback loop right there. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of things about that sort of occur to me. Um, you know, the notion of the site leader leading the training. Yeah. Um, we had a phrase for kind of a similar approach that that. Uh, we were taking at Starbucks. We called it leader-led. Yes. Um, a colleague of mine, Karen Gaudet, mm-hmm. uh, who you know, was one of these leaders out in the field mm-hmm. that, that was being equipped uh, by sort of lean experts, I guess, like yeah. me, um, <clears throat> to 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 be responsible for that training. It right. wasn't something delegated to to you and mm-hmm. your team of lean experts. Um, so that that's kind of a striking mm-hmm. uh, characteristic yeah. of the approach that you were taking. Uh, but then also those questions. So I guess, you know, it, it could have been in a matter of two months that we checked the training box. All 40,000 folks uh, have <laughs> exactly. been trained. And so mission accomplished. But that's that's not where we were yeah. uh, focused on our measurement. It was around uh, the use of the tools. But the use of the tools, mm-hmm. I mean, use being sort of the operative word. Exactly. So it wasn't, have you been trained and do you understand this thing? Mm-hmm. But in fact... Um, are you demonstrating their use mm-hmm. uh, to to a positive outcome? Right, right. Um, right. Uh, engagement's gone up as, yeah. as one of the one of the outcomes that were that were being pursued. Um, and then, based on on what you learned, there were uh, there was the opportunity to because of the way that everything was organized, these classes based yeah. on sites, to in a fairly surgical manner, I guess, mm-hmm. sort of go go directly to these sites and. Uh, work with them to to help kind of correct the gap. Yeah, uh, you're right. That, that, that may emerge. Yeah, and, and Josh, you know, I think the thing that's really important that that, that I really want to share is that people sometimes think this is too much work. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't. Two months later, survey all these people. Mm-hmm. But oh my gosh, if it's that important that we roll this out to right. forty thousand employees. If we don't have time to check if it's working, mm-hmm. that's just that just doesn't make sense, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So, all right. Um, so this is, you know, I guess kind of uh, phase one. I mean, right. really, sort of the just the first step in introducing the UP way, which mm-hmm. was to have an approach to introducing it, to training it, leveraging the site leaders, uh, whittling it down to five five kind of core tools, yeah. uh, and to check on, all right, did that training, did that introduction. Um, was it effective, right? right. I mean, was, was it effective in getting these tools put into use? Mm-hmm. All right, so certainly a better measurement than just all of, you know, 100% of our folks have been trained. Mm-hmm. Um, but the next level is, all right, I mean, we're not uh, introducing these tools just for fun. Uh, we're introducing these tools because we, we need to get some kind of a, a benefit for the organization, some kind of right. a business result. Um, so I guess that kind of uh, takes us into phase two. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
no surprise given uh, <laughs> your background uh, there was a way to to actually uh i guess conduct phase two and then also to measure it yeah <laughs> so yeah um Maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, about what, what happened next. Absolutely. So we, what we did is we stole a concept from the medical field. And we're all familiar with uh, longitudinal studies of healthcare people who have a certain heart condition and they're taking some type of a drug and they're being studied over a long period of time. It's called also called a panel survey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the beauty of that is you get everybody to respond all the time. You're, you're not, you don't get like a 20% response rate. You're monitoring real time and you can follow people over a large time. And then if you do it properly, you can make inferences back to the whole, everyone who has a heart, uh, the majority of people who have heart problems or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. We decided to take that concept and we created something that we called the UP Panel Survey. So let me just describe it. Just kind of hang with me here with the description because it's sure, sure. it's important uh, to get the kind of the numbers right. So so the forty thousand employees. Mm-hmm. We wanted to make inferences on implementation effectiveness to all forty thousand employees in the operating department. But if you try to survey 40,000 employees you know a conductor who's running around <laughs> on a train back and forth you, your response rate's going to be 10 20 you're not going to get a resp- good response rate mm-hmm. and especially over time over time exactly and and the problem with poor response rates is you then can only talk of your results only apply to the people that you surveyed and it's sometimes uh, very biased. People who are most dissatisfied often respond. You know, right, you just right, right. you can't get get a good um, sense of how your whole organization is performing or feeling. So mm-hmm. we knew we wanted a strong response rate, and we wanted a response rate above eighty five percent. And right. so we did the calculations to determine how big our sample size should be if we wanted to make inferences to uh, these employees. And we found um, that we needed about 350 people to respond to our survey. So what we did is we randomly chose, and random is the other key. Now, I'm, the stats lesson's almost over, but <laughs> in order to make inferences back okay. to a population, it's you okay. have to have a good response rate and you have to have a randomly chosen sample. Right. So we randomly chose, uh, to be safe, 400 people, and we had them in a proportion that fit the proportion of our workforce. Mm -hmm. So that demographically, Mm, our geography of our sample matched the geography of our employees in the US, the levels in the organization and the departments matched. And so we had, it's called a stratified sample. We had a stratified sample. And then we went out to these 400 people and we asked every one of them, would you commit to being in a panel survey for six, or, sorry, you'll be surveyed every six months and your commitment is for three years. Mm-hmm. The survey will take you maybe 10 minutes, there's 10 questions, and you are completely anonymous. And not only that, but only one person in the whole company will know your name, <laughs> that know that you're in this, sur- this survey, but you, no one else will know and they won't be able to link your results with um, the whole group. Okay. And so some people said yes, some people said no, uh, not many people said no because we told them you're going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. We're, you're going to be the person that represents people just like you around the the country, and and we need to hear your voice to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And so the people that said no, we had to replace them with somebody with their same demographic. So we would randomly choose the replacement okay. to kind of ma- maintain that stratification. Exactly. Okay. All right, and then then the way that this is set up is if you think about once you have your 400 people, you have your 400 people and they're all set to go. If you run that panel and survey them every six months for three years, and then after three years, you've got to then replace all of them. The whole population. Right, Mm -hmm. And, and the thing is, if you only keep that panel, you're not going to get new people that join the organization right, because right, your right. your 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 panel's just aging, right? Well, people might leave too, I guess. Well, right? yeah, and then we would replace them with their demographics that okay. fit them. Yes. Okay. So what we ended up doing is, um, after year one, we replaced 133 people. So we replaced a third of them mm-hmm. um, randomly with the people that match your demographics. Year two, year three. Okay. That's all the that's all the <laughs> the nitty. <laughs> 
details that you need to know. That's okay. That's okay. But now let's get to what we learned. And so you, you, you just a, a target that you had mentioned earlier was uh, the need to have an 85% response rate. Yes. So with this representative panel, um, stratified and randomized, as you described, um, did you uh, achieve that? that uh, we, response rate? Absolutely. We were well over 90% every single survey. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, so what'd you find? What was it that, uh, that, well, that these surveys revealed over the, the three years or, or even beyond? Okay. So high level, uh, I'll just give you a couple little smatterings. High level. So one of the things that we found is one year after launch, 39% of all those employees survey said that they benefited from at least one tool during one lean tool during the last six months. Okay. And by and three by year three, fifty-four percent hmm. of the people said that they had benefited. That's a, that's extrapolated over forty thousand people. It benefited mm-hmm. from at least one lean tool during the past six months. So from their perspective, things are better. Exactly. Yeah, and better directly as a relate as as it relates to this from this the use tool. of the tool. Okay. Yes, or the concept or whatever, mm-hmm. and um and then we did like here's one other example, in terms of standard work. So standard work for the hourly union employees was a little bit harder to get. At the end of year one, we had 31% said that they had used it during the last six months, and 41% was three years later. So working our way through that population, Mm -hmm. but slowly but surely, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in terms of the the management, or let's say the non-union employees, 67% of the employees were using standard work one year after launch, and 80% were using it three years after launch. That, that that was the management population. So that's well. That's like, the non-union population. Non-union population. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and just uh, I guess to to help me kind of um, envision what this might have looked like at a work site. Yeah. Um, uh, the the concept of standard work is one that you know more or less uh, we're all kind of familiar with conceptually anyway. But yeah. you know it, it it its actual application is going to. Uh, be different in different contexts. Yes, um, I have never worked in a uh, <laughs> uh, for, for. I've never visited a Union Pacific site. Right. So, can you give me some, just an example of what sure. sort of standard work at uh, UP looked like? Yeah, yeah. This is an easy one, and this was one that once we realized it, we were able to roll out all over because it was, um, it it was uh, it was had to do with. If I can describe, you've got a yard, okay. and the yards have like a hump in it, okay. and the cars go over the hump. And then you have somebody who's dispatching to a, um, an employee standing next to the hump of when the, the cars go over the hump into the bowl, and there's all these tracks that spread out like a spider web into the bowl. Mm-hmm. When they go over into the bowl, which how many cars are going to be going over at a time and then when you if they say one car then when that car reaches a certain point they pull the pin mm. and then it releases that car and it can go down in the bowl then then, then they may say two cars next and then you release a pin after two mm-hmm. the, the the challenge we found is that some locations you had just had people pulling the pins but there they sometimes they'd get a derailment when the car was rolling down, sometimes they wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And the thought was, well, at these other places, they, they're they more standardized at how they pull the pins. Okay. It turned out that all we needed to do was do some visual management and paint a line um, and, and educate people that the standard work is to pull the pin right about at this line. Right line. And we found that uh, it was a much more effective way. Okay. Um, not, not, not that you're in any way interested in on interested in what's going on in my head right now but as a father of a nine-year-old and a four-year-old yeah. <laughs> I'm realizing that the closest I've come to that particular gemba is yeah. watching Thomas the Tank Engine cartoons ah. with my kids uh, reading, <laughs> re- read, reading books for nine years yeah uh, and so as you're describing <laughs> yeah. as you're describing the yard right uh, what I'm describing what, what I'm thinking about is Thomas and Percy and James and Sir Topham Hat okay uh, so that's anyhow. great that's great <laughs> uh, there, there you go. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, again, ultimately, we're uh, introducing these tools, establishing the UP way for um, for some business benefit, for some some right. real result. So, yeah. um, what was it that you were able to uh, 
to see uh, in okay. the data yeah. that um, that gave you and, and, yeah. and the organization, um, whatever, that, that help you understand what was the impact on the business itself sure. with uh, introducing and establishing the UP way. Yeah, that's right, because that is the, the final outcome, right? So, so what we started doing is we were able to create a composite score that showed the maturity of the UP way deployment. And it was quantitative because mm. these are Likert scale one, two, three, four, five, six type questions. So we created a composite score. Then we correlated that score with the business results of that service unit. And remember the service unit is all of the territory of Union Pacific is divided up into service units and they're all led by their own leader. Mm -hmm. And so we now had the maturity of the service unit and their business results and we started correlating those results. We found no correlation year one. Mm We found no correlation year two and started to get a bit worried. And so the story ends there. It's over. (laughs) Uh, Uh, I I was like, sorry, everybody. Lynn, it's been fun. Yeah. Um. Anyway, (laughs) and by year three, though, which was really, really exciting, Mm. it was statistically significant. The highest performing service units in terms of their operational metrics had the highest score on UPA implementation or the most maturity. The lowest scoring business units in terms of performance had the lowest score on the UPA maturity. And it was resoundingly clear, statistically significant. It was just like flashing lights. That's incredible. Yeah, it was very cool. Was there, um, even then, so three years in, I made all this investment. Sure. stuck to it, you know, sort of a, a, a good case of perseverance <laughs> to, to keep mm. after it, even after a couple of years. Um, were there still questions um, that, you know, that, that, that this was all worth it, that the UP way was was something that uh, the, the that Union Pacific should stay committed to? You know, during that time, we had an operational change. Our COO moved up to our CEO role, mm. and the new CEO, OO took place, mm-hmm. uh, took his place, and you know, anytime you have a leadership change, sure, you always course. worry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was really reassuring is that uh, the CEO wanted that, at that point to deploy UPA to the whole organization, and mm-hmm. the chief operating officer just embraced. He had embraced it when it, one of the reasons he got promoted was he had embraced it okay, when so he was from within the company. Yeah, mm-hmm. when he was mm-hmm. a regional vice president, and then and then he just embraced UPA, and that's really the way he ran the operating department. And to what extent, anyways, um, do you think, or or you know, do you know that um, that the the measurements, this this data, these mm-hmm. survey results um, were. Um, influencing, I guess, the confidence or the, yeah. the, the conclusions that the executive team was reaching that, that yeah. had them keep after it? Well, initially, um, well, initially we used the results because we could detect which areas were not embracing UPA. So mm-hmm. initially we used the results, the first two years, we were using the results to basically detect who was just given a lip service? What? Mm-hmm. Do, who do we need to coach? What do we need to do? And mm-hmm. you know, sometimes who do we need to swap out? Mm-hmm. But by year three, um, the results were so resounding that it, it it just became clear that this this whole thing was real. Mm. Cool. Um, so an example of um, for one of these sites that was struggling. Yeah. Um, what would what would uh, providing additional support to that site? Okay, well, look well like? we actually what were some did of the that. Countermeasures that. Yeah, uh, we, we actually did that. We had a, um, a person that was moved in to take over uh, the service unit that had, had the lowest performance metrics of all mm-hmm. the service units, very lowest. And he moved in there and he w- was very enthusiastic about UP Way, but had not led a service unit before. Mm-hmm. And he actually came to our department and asked, if we would, you know, do more of an acceleration with him, work, give him more people, mm-hmm. work closely with him, and and he wanted to be able to live it, breathe it, do it, and we said we'll do that. Um, we just want to make sure you're committing to 
you know, certain things like engagement and, mm-hmm. and he committed and we put three people there and they were pretty much around the clock because 24 mm-hmm. hour operation for mm-hmm. like three, four months. Okay. And that service unit went from last place to first place in mm-hmm. terms of the metrics. It just, it, and it seems like it took about eight months. I can't, re- I know it took less than a year, but about mm-hmm. eight months, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and they were, they were first place in the, in the metrics, which was amazing. And so those those three people that were there around the clock, as you say, they, they mm-hmm. were doing what? What you know? They, they were a next lot set of hands, I yeah, guess. Yeah, a lot of know. coaching. And okay. one of the things that, um, so I mean, the railroad is a militaristic model. Model started, you know, out of the military originally. Union Pacific did anyway, mm-hmm. and um, and some, you know. We're truly trying to change the culture mm. to more, less of autocratic and more participative and treating people with respect. And so one of the things that this leader asked us to do was to sit in on his leader standard work sessions with his employees and his direct reports leader standard work with their employees and coach them on how to engage employees in, in a respectful way. And... Um, you're talking like real, real behavioral change. Real behavioral that, change. That was, uh, being sought after. Exactly. Exactly. And so we did that with him. And, and this uh, gentleman was so successful, he went on to lead one of our regions to come, become one of our top people in wow. the organization from that whole experience. And mm-hmm. he had, I mean, he had all the makings of an excellent leader and, um, and just wanted a little nurturing mm-hmm. and we just gave him anything we could. He was like a sponge and he just, was, he's amazing. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, <clears throat> so you're three years into this um, and there's, you know, pretty clear evidence that, that, you know, not only have, every, not only has everyone been trained, which uh, <laughs> sort of the, the, the lowest bar to, to, to hurdle over, uh, but also, folks are using the tools as a result of the training itself. Right. And uh, furthermore, to the ultimate objective, um, there are clear correlation, uh, statistically significant correlation between positive business outcomes uh, and kind of adoption of the UP way. Yeah. Um, and so those 40,000 folks within operations um, were benefiting uh, by this time uh, mm-hmm. quite, quite uh, clearly. And so I can imagine the uh, desire on the part of Union Pacific to uh, spread this, this spread the UP way, I guess, mm-hmm. um, to other areas of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I understand that was kind of the, the next phase for your your yeah. role there. Yeah. So you can tell me about that. Yeah. So um, so I was asked to take over the supply chain department, mm-hmm. and just to give you some perspective it's about nine billion dollars at it was at the time i took it over nine billion dollars in annual spend Mm -hmm. and um and about 300 people a number of distribution centers warehouses um including fuel infrastructure fueling for the locomotives Mm -hmm. so it was a a fairly uh, complex and large organization how many people in that organization yeah about 300 300. yeah okay yeah Give or take, I think they were up to four at four hundred at some point. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, tell me about how UP Way was uh, introduced there, or yeah, uh, how, how uh, the, the lean approach that was being taken. So w- one of the first things that that I did when I started was I wanted to get feedback from the people in the department about what was working in the department and what wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, you know, I didn't want to do a survey. I wanted it to be qualitative and um, much more, much richer survey, but with 350 people, whatever it was at that point, you can't do interviews with everybody. You can't, you, there's mm-hmm. just, it's really tough. But- so why, why, Sorry, why, why not do a survey? Um, because, because what I would get is if I do the Likert, which is the numbers, then I can mm-hmm. I can really quickly analyze it, but I don't get at any of the why or what. Say so only get it, I only will get what I ask. Okay. And if you don't know what to ask, mm. and you and you miss the right question, you won't get it back. Okay. And so, um, if you do 
if you know if you ask somebody tell me what's the best thing and they're you're, they're talking to you mm -hmm. then you can get the richness behind it okay. but i i couldn't talk to everybody mm -hmm. so we had a, a every we have always had um a town hall that mm -hmm. we held okay. every few months mm -hmm. and there was a town hall being held shortly after i started already scheduled and what i decided that we could do is i asked everybody in the room so you know hundreds of people mm -hmm. to partner with the person next to them and spend 10 minutes to talk about what are what is the one best thing about our department and what is the worst thing about our department mm -hmm. and then if they both agreed they could write that on a piece of paper and then uh, but if one disagreed they they would put you know several answers on the piece of paper so we could count it if we only got one right and one Understood. wrong then we could double that and we know two people mm -hmm. agreed that so already we've consolidated some of the data was there some uh, design into the pairs themselves no no okay. no they were just sitting randomly around the room okay and we just said sit next to you and then uh -huh. sometimes we had threes at the end of some of the aisles okay. so yeah okay so what we got back was really fascinating um, and a surprise because what they said the worst thing about the department is that we work departmentally in our department in silos mm. and um, not just that but it was they were angry about it uh, mm. they said there's finger pointing mm. uh, we get work nobody else wants they throw it at us we you know it was very very emotional mm. negative feedback about their own department mm -hmm. so silos being uh, I guess sort of thought of as a culprit for um, some of this I don't know the blame the infighting the yeah. conflict that, that, that they were describing yeah yeah um, <clears throat> so I guess uh, with that kind of an insight, that that um, resounding sort of uh, feedback coming from the folks, um, uh, good to dig into that, I guess. Maybe yeah. To try to understand what is it that's causing the, this this behavior, mm -hmm. uh, this culture within the organ within the, the supply chain organization. So, um, what is it that you or discovered about that, and, and how did you go about it? Yeah, so we did We did actually a two-pronged approach. Mm. One of the things that we did was we just went out and read books and articles on silos just to understand what have other people learned about silos and, mm -hmm. and what could we perhaps be using and thinking about and maybe what caused their silos, did it cause ours? So that was interesting. But then we just we just went randomly to people and and we started asking them why you know wh well why could that how could it why are we so um emotional about these silos because when we looked up definitions of silos mm -hmm. it normally said things like it refers to an organization that's made up of divisions that work work independently and don't share information but it didn't say and they're really really mad at each other and they <laughs> right. they're you know constantly in email wars with each other which was what was going on i mean it was i'd look at some of these emails no you said this no you do that no it, it was just really it was really I can see why they were so unhappy about sure, sure, that. Sure, sure. Anyway, what we realized, which is funny, it's like unintended consequences. And this is one of, a good lesson that I learned. Every time you reorganize, you create different problems. And you just have to remember that because mm -hmm. reorganization is not the perfect solution. What happened um, maybe four years before mm -hmm. is there was a major reorganization. Mm -hmm. And originally, the typical person in the supply department handled kind of all of supply. They interacted with the supplier, they negotiated the contract, they, if there wasn't really a quality department at that point, but they okay. might look a little bit about quality, they would track on time delivery, they do the fulfillment, they did the whole thing. So for a given product. For a given uh, product. They, they were sort of responsibilities exactly. across the entire like value stream. Exactly. Okay. And then what happened when they were split up is that that whole chain was uh, really separated into seven different steps. Hmm and those steps were their own department. Mm. So I might negotiate a contract, but now I'm gonna give that contract to you, and you're going to work with the supplier to get 
you get it fulfilled, and then you're going to give it to somebody else who's going to look at quality, and you're going to give it to somebody else who's going to blah, 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 blah. So from a sort of horizontal organization it, yeah. to one that's vertical, and yes. from zero handoffs to seven. That's correct. <laughs> and it, it appeared that there was no standard work or very limited standard work because the roles and responsibilities were not clear between who does what, mm. especially right as you get close to the handoff. Mm-hmm. And so naturally, that's your job. No, that's your job. No, mm-hmm. that's your job. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so that that's what was happening. And okay. so we did we did understand then very clearly um, one of the major root causes. Okay. So with uh, with that further insight yes. into the root causes, yeah. um, what was it that uh, that you you did about it? So we we created a cross functional team um, that that was comprised of it where each handoff occurred, mm-hmm. and they basically looked at all the responsibilities that they knew were theirs, and then they created a list of all the things that were in question. And then they, for the most part, figured out who should do what. Okay. Sometimes for this thing that no one wanted to do, <laughs> you know, they asked a leader to kind of make a decision. Mm-hmm. But in general, clear roles of responsibilities were created and clear standard work was created. Okay. And that was really life-changing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, so with the establishment of standard work, yeah. um, was there anything else that, uh, yeah. that, that you did to, to help address this and situation? This, yeah, and this is where the um, this is where a combination of my lean background came in to mm. to come up with some other things, um, and but also the research. Mm. So one of the things that was pretty resounding in the research is um, you need to have a unified vision. Mm. And so we talked about that. What would that look like? What would that be? And what I loved about that solution is that um, one one of the employees said, well, we're actually really more of a chain because we have these seven links. And then, of course, supply chain is so common, and, mm-hmm. and we just called ourselves the supply department. Hmm. So we officially changed our name to supply chain, and then somebody else put the links of the chain around in a circle and in every link of every one of the seven links listed the department in that link and it became our logo and it people put it on their emails they put it on on in their office um it was just this is us we are only successful when we are together Mm -hmm. and it was a visual unified vision that we are a supply chain okay and it was very a very powerful visual so that sort of image in mind uh to sort of uh relate to this is Mm -hmm. this is who we are how we want to be seen as this chain that works uh, effectively together with you know kind of technically speaking the development of clear roles and routines yeah. and standard work uh for the handoffs yeah um okay we, we you know think of kind of lean as the ultimate social and technical system but mm-hmm. social too so on yeah. the social side of things yeah um what, what was what was being done uh as the standard work was being developed as yeah the unified, unified vision was being established yeah um, Again, I mean, we, we saw in the research, it, it used words like, you need to create cross-functional collaboration, cross-functional training, cross-functional social activities, cross-functional liaisons, and we just said, we're gonna do all of it. So what we realized when we looked at all of our departments is every, every little, well, every one of the seven groups was given a budget for their own social events for the year to increase employee engagement but then they would they would part of the even i would hear oh, they got they went to a baseball game and we only went bowling like <laughs> they got more money than we i mean it was and we just said okay socialization we, competition <laughs> exactly we're gonna do department-wide events so mm-hmm. we started creating events for everybody um we created monthly training um, activities in a room big enough to fit everybody and we trained ourselves so everybody was represented from uh, you know people from one department one month will would train on something that their department was doing or they were learning mm. and it was it was very interesting for everybody and then 
unbeknownst to me, a group of them got together and they they created a softball team to play in Omaha, and they called themselves the Silo Busters, <laughs> which was awesome. And then we just created all these cross-functional improvement teams. So whatever we tackled, we made sure that it was cross-functional. Mm-hmm. So thinking about, uh, I don't know, a few kind of frameworks that might be familiar to uh, folks that are listening to this that you know that the idea that lean is this kind of ultimate social technical system Mm -hmm. and that uh, it then is the manager's job management's job Mm -hmm. to kind of strike that balance the right balance between social and technical um, being sort of the 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 role of a lean manager so to speak Um, but lean managers don't just um, exist unto themselves, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, there's this concept of a kind of management system yeah. uh, that, that we can develop mm-hmm. that sort of supports those managers in striking that balance between yeah. uh, the social and technical challenges that we face. Um, so was there something in that uh, dimension, the, the sort of around the management system uh, that was being used that, that helped support some of the changes that we were trying to make? Well, I can tell you that at the management level, we, every single one of the leaders was very aware of that operating in a silo was unacceptable. And so we, we actually did define behaviors mm-hmm. that, um, we actually defined behaviors that we said for leaders and ultimately their teams was unacceptable. Okay. And things like, you're not gonna, if once you ex- do an e- two email exchanges hmm. and you disagree on something, you have to get up and walk to that person's <laughs> cubicle and talk to them. I like that rule. And yeah. so we had, we put in a lot of things like that, but that's just leading up into the biggest thing because putting in the Gemba boards was one of the biggest things that we we could have done. It was, it, it gave us so much energy, and it's funny because at the very beginning, it was it was hard, um, but it just grew and grew with energy. And the way that we did it is so there you visualize seven departments mm-hmm. over a span of a whole floor mm-hmm. of of our headquarters, and every department put up their own Gemba board. And then what we created was they could do their Gemba walks themselves departmentally, however often they needed to. Some of them were weekly, some of them were daily, whatever they needed to do. But once a month, we put two hours on everybody's calendar and we did a full Gemba walk to all seven boards. Mm. It took us two hours. We always invited the chief um, executive officer, we invited the head of operating, we invited leadership to come. We often had them come and drop in. But the main thing was, the main message was that every person in the department had to go to their own board plus at least two boards because we wanted them to understand what everybody else was doing. And what ended up happening is people most people went to all the boards. I mean, so you'd have this group of, you know, hundreds of people <laughs> trying to gather around this board and, you know, people were, you know, kind of, you, we had to move boards in areas where like we could- Into the auditorium. Into more <laughs> places where we could get more room. <laughs> we're all crammed together. Um, but, but we made sure that it was a dialogue. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't just um, them presenting. And so the Gemba boards and the Gemba walks were really powerful. In fact, when I retired from Union Pacific, um, my boss, they hired my predecessor from the outside, and my boss told me that he told my predecessor, look, you can change anything you want, but you're not changing the Gemma boards (laughs) or the Gemma walks because they're working really well. So it's pretty cool. Well, um, another thing I'm curious about, so uh, I guess it was maybe a month ago or something, we were having a conversation about Gemba boards and uh, the practice of um, sort of having routines around these boards, the boards being, you know, mechanisms for displaying what's going on Mm -hmm. um, and and also for visualizing like a header behind. Yes. I mean, as a way to help us detect problems when when they're occurring. Um, And uh, we were talking about that uh, a month or so ago because, 
that's been a, a practice here at LEI that, that we've really made um, a big investment in uh, yeah. to visualize our, bur- our work mm-hmm. uh, even more so than we had before. And um, we're building kind of routines around um, the use of, of these Gimba boards or yeah. uh, these visualizations. Um, and I was sharing with you that, um, you know, as, as we've kind of begun that practice, maybe in more earnest uh-huh. than in the past, mm-hmm. um, that, that frankly, uh, the experience that I and the team here have been having uh, of working in that way mm-hmm. uh, at times has been fairly, fairly intense. Yes. Um, uh, right. the, the number of kind of problems, yeah. I guess, that, yeah. that it's forcing us to to encounter mm-hmm. um, at, at a high frequency, I mean, yeah. at sort of at least weekly, um, yeah. can at times be just frankly kind of overwhelming, right? Exactly. And, and things I are, know. Yeah. Things are sort of falling behind. Yeah. We, you know, we, we hoped to get such and such done by such and such time and, yeah. and um, you know, we're, we're unable to for, for any host of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were sharing, I guess, some words of encouragement with me that that, um, that, that was an experience yeah. that, that you could relate to. And I, I think it was it was these boards uh, here it with was. the supply chain it was. At, at UP yeah. that, that were giving you uh, the experience that you were sharing with me to sort of say, uh, yeah, it, it, it'll it get, gets better. It'll get better. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm curious, you know, both for, for, um, for my own benefit, mm-hmm. for the team's benefit here, um, maybe if you could share with me a little bit about, you know, I guess over time it gets better. Great. But, you know, I guess maybe more specifically, like what, what is it about the use of these boards over time that, uh, that, that gets better? Yeah. And it's actually several things. Let me just first mention the thing that was the most fulfilling to me Mm -hmm. is the development of the people that, that would present you could watch you could watch them grow mm. so you know the the first because we had everybody we didn't say the leaders we had everybody people, whoever was doing the work was presenting and sometimes they were interns and sometimes they were new new college hires and sometimes they were people who who were shy and never spoke a word in public sure, and sure. And just and then they're getting up in front of 200 people, and sometimes they had note cards and their hands were sweaty, and they were and watching them gain confidence. Mm. You know, after the first year, people would get up that I was thinking. You know, one person had um, language barrier in terms of English not being her native language, and sometimes she would struggle. And then she would get up and make jokes. You know, she was like. Um, she was blossoming awesome. in that environment. So I think the personal development of the people was inspiring. Um, people got better at the boards. We did not have a template. We just said, look, we want you to celebrate your successes. We want you to be able to show us progress on the main things you're, you're working on. Mm-hmm. We want to show if you've got A3s or projects, we want, to, want you to kind of have those on there. You're, you know. So, I mean, we, and have fun with it. And they they were, at the beginning, some of them had to redo them like five times before mm-hmm. they, and I never told them to redo them. They did them because it wasn't what they wanted yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but they the boards themselves got better and better and better. And then then just the the fact that the, every, the metrics got better, the problems got fewer, everything just got to be so that it was it was like inspiring hmm. you know at some point then it was just fun and at first i was like ah oh, shoot me now i know i have to <laughs> smile and i know i have to pretend i'm loving this but i'm dying here yeah, you know yeah, yeah. it was draining I, I can be honest about that but um it, but it got better pretty quickly yeah yeah well, I'll even you know as as we uh, as we wrap up our conversation yes. today um we can go walk around and and uh, i could it's it's neat to hear you describe the sort of the iterations that were happening around those boards yeah. because uh, that's very much been the experience that we're having sure. here too. So uh, anyway, well, I'll, I'll go show you a board after Good. this, and uh, you'll, you'll see that it, it looks quite different than it did a month ago. That's awesome. Uh, so I think that's a, a, a good thing. It sounds like good. Well, the most the most exciting thing after all that work mm-hmm. was that two years later we redid the survey and did it in exactly the same manner so that we 
didn't have any kind of unintended bias. Mm -hmm. Put them in pairs when they came to the town hall, gave them a piece of paper, spent 10 minutes telling, talking about what's the best thing about the department and what's the worst thing, and turn in your pieces of paper. And when we looked at all of those pieces of paper that said what's the best thing, mm -hmm. it says we work as a team. That's incredible. That was, that was just like the best, yeah. So it's really, you know, to, to hear, I mean, I guess we, we kind of covered, in our conversation today, we kind of covered three, three phases uh, of the introduction of the UP way mm -hmm. uh, at Union Pacific from the initial training with the 40,000 uh, folks in operations mm -hmm. through to the use of the UP way to achieve uh, meaningful business results Yeah, um, to the sort of spread uh, of the UP way from operations into formerly supply, now supply chain. Yeah. Um, and with each of those, you know, I'm struck by, uh, I guess, just the the intentionality, the, the kind of planfulness that you led the team to have mm -hmm. in establishing both, you know, clear objectives mm -hmm. that could be measurable and then the discipline to say, um, you know, let's take some measurement at the beginning. <laughs> let's yeah, yeah. Uh, check over time, whether yeah. it's two to four months uh, or every six months yeah. or in the case of the supply chain group, you know, two months later, two years later, rather. Um, and to have available then as part of the, the story, the narrative mm -hmm. of the lean implementation, uh, here's where we were, here was yeah. the problem we were trying to solve, um, here's our understanding of its root causes, here are the countermeasures we deployed, um, and now, uh, some time later, uh, measurably, um, in your case, with statistical significance <laughs> <laughs> because of your, your background, yeah. um, things are better. Uh, yeah. Things are better. It's not a question uh, as to whether, as to whether we've, I guess, implemented the tools and the ideas mm -hmm. that we intended to implement, and that those lean ideas, lean lean thinking and practices are in fact benefiting the business. Mm -hmm. um, I think a, uh, I don't know, maybe a <clears throat> an experience dissimilar from many mm -hmm. to to have that level of uh, discipline and kind of intentionality mm -hmm. going into the introduction of the UP way. Um, certainly something for, for me to reflect on mm. uh, in, in the, the changes that, that we'll, we'll always be implementing here. Yeah. Uh, and then certainly the changes that we'll be supporting uh, folks out in the lean community um, in implementing uh, with their organizations. So um, anyway, uh, thank you so much for, uh, for you. your time again and, and for sharing these stories, uh, sharing these three phases, three, three big uh, PDCA learning cycles. <laughs> Uh, that you went through there at Union Pacific. Um, yeah, thanks again. Good, thank Appreciate you, Josh. My pleasure. And that's a wrap. I want to thank Dr. Kelly once again for sharing her experience leading the implementation of the UP Way. I also want to thank the WLEI production team of Emma Ripa and Lori Moniz. If you want to be in touch, you can email us at pod at lean.org. Maybe you have some ideas for future podcasts. All right, I'm Josh Howell. Signing off, until next time.